Charlie, a 17-year-old girl from deep in the Appalachian Mountains, must save her sisters and little brother from her addicted mother and drug dealer uncle. Nowhere to go, the kids are met by a trusted teacher who finds them a safe place, if only for one night. This short film really opens your eyes to the situation that far too many children are in. Sometimes, we think that drug addiction and drug environments are only in some parts of the country. But the truth is, it's happening everywhere. This short film delivers a powerful message and hit close to home for the cast and crew. Let's dive in and speak with those who made this short film to learn more. All right, book nerds. Today, we're speaking with Marty Elkin and Connor Wharton. They are both part of the short film Ladies Most Deject. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Oh, thanks Thank for you having for having us. Oh, we're already cutting each other off. It's okay. <laughs> we're we are one. Maybe we're the same person. Has anybody Maybe. seen this separate? <laughs> oh, I haven't. Oh, actually, I did. We we had video on for a short amount of time, so I did see both of you as separate people. So, <laughs> so for all of our listeners uh, out there, could you please introduce yourselves and tell us about your each of your involvement with the project? Connor, you want to? You started this thing, so go for it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'll go first. My name is Connor Wharton. I'm a third year English and film student at UCLA. I'm currently in quarantine with my family in Virginia, tucked rather deeply in the Appalachian Mountains, which is also the site of our short film, which we'll be discussing today. Um, and I co-wrote it and starred in it. And I was lucky enough to get to direct it after they, uh, she and her co-writer, Mark Salyer, were, uh, had written the script. Uh, they were looking for, thankfully, a woman director. And uh, by a strange set of coincidences, they had gone to uh, a an Alliance of Women Directors seminar and the Alliance of Women Directors had just put together this database looking um uh, of their members, women director members, and you could do a search and look for whatever criterion you were looking for. And they came across me and saw that I was from Virginia, which is where the film was shot. And it turned out that one of the producers lived less than a mile from my house. And then we find out that Connor and I, I went to UCLA, Connor went to you. Anyway, it was kind of love at first sight. <laughs> and uh, I got to direct this wonderful piece that just uh, means a lot to my heart. Fantastic. So, Connor, since you said you uh, you're the co one of the co-writers of this, mm -hmm. uh, I feel like this question would be perfect for you. Would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about what the film you know what what the film is about? Yeah, it's about our nation's drug crisis. We concentrate on Central Appalachia, where the overdose mortality rate is 65% higher than that of the rest of the country. And again, where I'm from. We shot it entirely in my hometown with most of our cast and much of their crew composed of locals. I play Charlie, a 17 year old who is forced to navigate high school and take on the role of caring for her three younger siblings as her mother's addiction and substance abuse worsens. So personally, it's about friends, classmates, family members who have been ricocheted among the kindness of grandparents and foster parents and friends and teachers. And in our film, we concentrate on the kind 
effectiveness of a teacher and a shelter that the school has put in place to to provide a, a safe space for children fleeing dangerous living situations like the ones we depict in the short. Wow, thank you, thank you for summarizing that. I mean, I think, I think, <laughs> I think you did. Yeah, obviously, you had you, a lot you of practice. It, so, <laughs> I figured, I figured, I was like, yeah. this is not the first time this question has been asked. Mm-mm. But um, no, I, think I eat, sleep, and breathe this question. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I watched it recently. I thought it was fantastically, you know, it was done in a fantastic way. The story was compelling. Uh, it tells a great story, and it's it's such a. I feel like it's such an important story to tell because not everybody faces that the kind of hardships that this film depicts, but way too many people actually do. Yeah, I think it, that, that was largely why y'all wanted to make the film in the first. Yes, I still say y'all, um, <laughs> but uh, that that's one of the reasons y'all wanted to highlight this subject um, so that to bring attention to what's going on under underneath the things that teachers are having to deal with that, you know, they're becoming social workers, not just having to teach, they're trying to help these poor kids that they see in need and just highlighting this whole situation so that hopefully more can be done about it. So what was the process like? I mean, you said it was filmed in Virginia, um, in, you know, in Appalachia, if I pronounced that correctly probably didn't but what was it like trying to get get everybody together because I'm assuming Connor you were still in school when all you were putting all this together so I mean how did it how did the filming take place with your schoolwork and dealing with all that and you know casting and getting all I know you said a lot of the people who were in it in film production were locals but what was that like coordinating all of that together yeah I I wrote it with our co-writer Mark Salyer, who's also from this hometown. We all go way back. Um, (laughs) I wrote it when I was a freshman in college. I took spring quarter off, so that's the answer to how I navigated school and this project. Uh, I didn't, I took (laughs) the quarter off. Um, And then we filmed that summer. And how it all came about, well, Marty told you a little bit about how we found her Mark, again, the co-writer and much more um, really the brain and the heart of this project. He was in charge of coordinating um, and casting. Marty, maybe you could speak more about that because I'm not actually sure. Sure. Um, yeah, he uh, he kind of did some scouting. Uh, Mark has a, a lot of times t- teaches acting workshops and has taught a few in that area. And um it just I, I think kind of asked around to to see who was available in the right age range uh, in that area, and then he had them do some recordings, some self tapings that he would. Then, I was working on a, I was the first assistant director on a movie in Georgia right then. I was working on Nancy Drew, The Mystery of the Hidden Staircase, and so he was sending me recordings of these kids. And uh, so I was able to do casting that way. He was also working with a casting director and we got uh, some wonderful actors through her also. Uh, we got Pepper Binkley, who, um, Brinkley, excuse me, who um, I had seen uh, in 
I had coincidentally seen on a TV show and just thought her performance was fantastic. And so uh, uh, he he did some of the casting and knew some local actors and kind of put the word out. And then I, you know, made final choices after looking at, at tapes. So I want to go a little bit deeper into that, Marty, because, uh, you know, obviously there are some young cast members some kids in this film and, you know, there's a essentially almost like a baby involved, and I know that when it when uh, when it comes to directing and making films, there's a lot of like you know laws that you have to navigate in terms of how long kids can act and dealing with children. I know can be uh, getting them to you know the right performance can possibly be challenging. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, uh, we totally lucked out. Uh, the kids were great. Uh, Virginia was a little looser on hours, especially in the summertime, but still we had to be careful and, and you know, um, work within their time restraints. But the baby, I, I, I have to laugh because I have maybe 24 nieces. Uh, I have 12 nieces and nephews and consequently like some like 24, 25 great nieces and nephews. And pretty much they all cry whenever they see me. So I was uh, I was terrified about working with a two year old. So, boy, did we ever luck out. Uh, as it turned out, one of the girls we cast to play the 11 year old had um it was her, his, her nephew, right? Josiah was her nephew, Ellie's nephew, right? Um, yeah. And uh, and so we cast him, and not only was he the most amazing baby ever, ever, just had the most wonderful personality and was so agreeable and and just s- such a charmer, just never cried, never got upset about anything, and. Um, and we bribed him with M&Ms. We, no, we, <laughs> we went through a lot of M&Ms, that is true, but it worked, whatever worked. Uh, but also having Ellie on the set uh, was a comfort factor. So uh, it we yeah. just really lucked out. And the other kids, um, I don't think Sophia had done any acting. Ellie had done maybe a little bit locally, and but you know, we had some rehearsal sessions where we just kind of all got to know each other as a family and we did some kind of icebreaker exercises to get to know each other and then got into the story and started talking about what it was like to um, have a, have a, you know, what happens when this bad guy comes to your house? Tell me about the last time he came here. And they would, in their imagination, come up with these stories about, why he scared them and why, why, um, you know, how their mother in the story doesn't ever come to, doesn't ever come to any of their games or uh, doesn't come pick them up after school or how they go about getting their food. I mean, just kind of started talking about these things so that they could get into the life of the character. And we always had Josiah hanging around with us at the rehearsal just to get comfortable with everybody. And boy, did that pay off. Yeah, I, you know, I had forgotten about all of the icebreakers until I guess we started um, talking more about it at festivals. But I remember just, as you were saying, watch them come up with these stories and children are just so imaginative. And I think they are truly one of the, 
most wonderful things to watch on screen because kids just they have access to all of these emotions that we as adults have tossed aside or or we don't want to fill anymore but they are so genuine and pure and there would be times when Josiah would just look at us and and you would and the, and the camera would catch it too and you just would think he is so smart we think that he doesn't know what's going on but I know he does and they're just they're beautiful to watch on screen I love child actors especially the ones that are as young as Josiah because they truly they don't know actually what's going on but then everything that unwraps in front of the camera is is really beautiful I think it was really really special I mean all the, they just really did become a family for the shoot and uh it, it was yeah it and was, I, I I remember Marty do you remember before we started filming you were like are you sure you don't want to make the baby like five maybe six maybe like 22 <laughs> maybe perhaps 22 like that would kind of be Boy, do weird, I. but and, and then I remember you also were like, okay, so you have a baby and you also want us to film in a little teeny tiny trailer. Sure. Anything else you want to add in here? And then oh, I remember also the first day. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> no, you go ahead. <laughs> Um, I was going to say I, the thunderstorms. Oh, oh I was no, I was getting ready to say that too. So on our very first day of shooting, we were all ready to go. You know, the child, all the children were in place. It was the opening bedroom scene, so we all had to to get children to hold still. Sometimes, obviously, it's a little hard. So they were all nestled in, all ready to go, and then thunder comes because in the south we have these dreadful thunderstorms that come out of nowhere and then leave but as soon as we started filming a thunderstorm arrived and, and this one didn't leave this one just we it didn't was so leave loud. it was so loud we could not record dialogue it was louder than the dialogue it was just overwhelming <laughs> and the whole yard got flooded and everything and and didn't uh, we have something wrong with the toilets or oh like let's the... just go there shall we <laughs> <laughs> i hope so maybe it we should just send this yeah, the ground was so sad. Listen to Sag and be like, hey, Sag, I'm really sorry, but like there were some crazy things that happened. We did not, no one, they were not injured, but um, I could not potty for a few hours. Um, well, I live in, I live in LA now as well, but I'm originally from Florida. So I've dealt with some thunderstorms. Uh, oh, you, you know. know. And, and hurricanes every now and then. It was oh, like in Florida, it's it's set up. For it's terrible. Time. It's terrible in Florida, more so than here, because the thunderstorms down there they don't even cool off. The no, the, no, the climate it just makes it worse. It makes it stickier and more humid after it. And you're like, what was the point, thunderstorm? What was the point of you coming in here if you weren't even going to cool off the area? In Florida, yeah. we have two temperatures. We have hot and really hot. That's yeah. it. Yeah. There's, there's nothing yeah. else. That's one of the one of the. <laughs> one of the many reasons that I left and came to Los Angeles. <laughs> yep. 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 Yeah. We so, had, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I want, you're, <laughs> I'm right, interviewing just, you. I want to hear what you have to say. 
No, we just, it was uh, true. Yeah, we, it was like, okay, we've got the thunderstorms that are flooding the yards and we can barely hear dialogue. We've got the two-year-old baby. You sure you don't want to write uh, a part for an animal in this also? <laughs> I mean, I feel That's like really the opening good. scene should have perhaps had a bear. Yeah, in we it. could have done In retrospect, in retrospect, I'm thinking, why didn't we train a bear for this? Oh, you know what? There was a snake on yeah. set that one oh, day. Yeah. A copperhead, yeah. <laughs> God, people are going to listen to this and be like, whoa, <laughs> what a time in Appalachia. It's yeah, part of, I'm, that's part of the fun is learning about you know, all these things that happen because that's, that's actually one of my uh, my questions that you're, we'll jump right into that one. We'll skip a few of my other questions for now, but I'm curious about like, you know, what it was like on, on set and what were some of the, you know, I, I mean, this, the film is, you know, touches on a serious nature, but I'm sure the film you know, during all filming, like how long did it take? And I'm sure there were lots of fun and goofy moments. And, you know, what were some of the most memorable moments on, on set and actually filming? Oh, what a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> what I do. So it, what I do. <laughs> we, we shot, was it five days, Marty? Yeah, this was two years ago. So yeah, yeah. Um, you can help me out in any way. Um, it was five days. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. Of course, with children, you definitely have to keep the energy up, especially when the days get longer and you're like, no, actually don't nap right now. We have to go run through the forest. I think. But they were all in. They were, they were. Yeah, they were all so in. But I think it had to do with the, the, you know, the attitude on the set. Everybody was, um, you know, just having it. I was determined that they were going to have a good time and they just got along great. Oh, there you are. And as far as a favorite memory, I hmm, I think the snake um, or I think maybe <laughs> the last day of shooting when I went to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. Tell them about that. Was that was great. Yeah, now, I now, now, that. I gotta, now I need to hear this story. <laughs> You're like, but it's snakes, it goes back a few days. Flooding porta pots. Um, yeah, I had an ovarian. <laughs> I had an ovarian. Don't forget about the the eye thing. The high thing happened first. Oh no! Yeah. Okay. I almost died like five times. I don't think I can act because I will, <laughs> my life will end. Um. The so the second day during the fight scene. This is fun. I can't discuss things like this at film festivals because no one cares. Um. But, uh, the second day when we were shooting the fight scene. We had a fake cigarette, and we also had, like, a smoke machine, a fog machine or something. It was just, um, I think it was just mineral oil, like a haze. Oh, uh, because okay. They were making we had haze. Kitchen, yeah. Okay. Thank you, Marty. We had haze. I don't know what it was, but my eyes did not approve of it, and I had to go to the eye doctor that next morning because I had an allergic reaction to whatever was inside of that house in that moment. And that is the reason why my eyes are bloodshot for the rest of it. But it's fine. It just looks like I went really method on it and like blackened my eye for a lot of it. And then on the last day, on the last day, I had an ovarian cyst rupture. And um, I almost said, I don't know if you've ever had one, but uh, they hurt. Yeah. Um, they sometimes simulate pain of like uh, like labor pains, but well, you we, don't we get a child. We thought you were having child. appendicitis. Yeah, we thought it was appendicitis, but it was just a little cyst on my ovary. Um, 
but you know what this we can move on from this because now that I'm talking <laughs> about it I'm like do people want to know this probably not well she was um, in the but, hospital it was our last day of shooting and she was to, supposed to leave the next day for Italy so we yeah, had to finish shooting <laughs> that day and she I got a call in the morning saying we're taking her to the hospital I'm going oh that's interesting <laughs> and to yeah. her credit I mean this is why I love this woman so much she uh came back after it was like you were there I don't know like an hour and a half after call or something like that so we uh, were waiting it might have been two hours I can't remember but she shows up and in spite of being in the hospital and in spite of being in pain she trooped right through the day and gave wonderful performances and I felt I used so it horribly I guilty. used my pain Marty you did well it was <laughs> thankfully it wasn't a comedy it was you know a painful <laughs> yeah you might have to edit some of that I don't know how many people want to tune in to listen to ovarian <laughs> cysts rupturing but well, luckily that's just a how small part of the podcast so <laughs> we'll, we'll go ahead and move on from that but we've moved yeah, on from uh, my ailments move on from but my yeah, ailments let's, uh, let's you know hope nothing goes wrong if you start in you know a bigger film at some point so. <laughs> like, no, I think you got it all girl, out of the way on this one yeah, this girl can't handle five days of shooting. <laughs> you got ten years worth of like injuries on you know in filming done in like five days. You got it out of the way quick. Oh, and, thank God. And also, she picked some um, to to have her eyes get red. Uh, Mark, one of the producers, said, "I don't know if we should shoot. What about her eyes? Just look so red." And I said, "In the script." She hasn't been sleeping. She stays up all night worrying about how to take care of her siblings. This is great. People will think we're genius. Yeah. <laughs> and then I would I would get all teary-eyed when I was filming, and then it would just worsen, and I would just look more pitiful, but it worked. <laughs> it worked. So. And, and here I thought you were just really embracing the character. I was, actually. <laughs> so... <laughs> But we will we will we will move on from uh, from that the hospital topics. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm really kind of curious to know this is uh, for both of you, but I'm really interested to know from you, Connor, from the time that you uh, you wrote it, you know, did you stay on? Because I know a lot of people, they write it, then they, you know, they bring on director and the director stays on through the editing and through, you know, through from the very beginning to the very end. Were you both on the project from beginning to end or did you kind of? write it, directed it, or, you know, started it, and Marty, you you filmed, directed everything, and then did Connor, did you just kind of go, okay, you know, do, you know, go off and edit this and see what you come up with, like, or did you both stay on till the very end, or? Um, yeah, it, it started with um, Mark and I writing it, so we were certainly there at the beginning, and then very soon after we had completed it, I'd say within that month, we found Marty, so Marty was our second, or I guess, a third person to come on board so we were definitely all there at the beginning and then as far as editing uh I know that Marty was very much part of that uh again I I shipped off to Italy and and spent the summer there uh, studying so I wasn't there for the editing um and then I kind of circled back in at the end when they showed me the final product and I was like, okay, great. Looks good. Thank you. <laughs> well, you were also very instrumental in, so to speak, in um, selecting some of the music. You had a song that you had heard that you thought would be perfect for this. And 
Mark spent, I don't know how long trying to get the rights to this song. It was many months before we got the rights and it was just so perfect that uh, yeah. I, I appreciate his tenacity because it just works so perfectly. So that was a great idea. Yeah, I was pretty much just working with the editor because um, I shot it. We didn't have a lot of extra time, what with kids and all. So I knew what I had shot and I knew how I envisioned it coming together. So I was working with the editor and then we would run things um we actually had some other shots that we thought about adding in uh you know shots of the town and stuff and as it came together uh um i was talking to mark going i don't know that we really need this now that we're into the story i don't know that we need to start the morning with shots of the town as as nice as they would be so because we thought we were going to have to send a second unit or something to get some shots of the area and the more we got into editing, we realized we just really, that didn't really need to worry about that. Gotcha. So Mark, yeah, go, Mark go, yeah. oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying Mark was, um, you know, would, as I would send him um, edits, uh, you know, he would, he would kind of weigh in and uh, say what he, you know, say if he thought we needed anything else. And, um, but yeah, the, I think, I guess I was pretty much just working with the editor, but would get final sign-offs from from the producers. Yeah, and going back to the music, uh, what Marty was referring to is uh, Rising Appalachia's song, uh, Fall on My Knees. I believe that's the exact title. That plays when they're getting ready. And then we have another one of their songs called Stromboli. And yeah, I would listen to it on our way to rehearsal or on our way to shoot. And I knew that we needed it. And I would also just listen to the rest of their album because it's, it's a band that they are Appalachian or at least I think they are. They might have grown up in Atlanta. I know they're Southern um, and they're sisters and their voices are beautiful. And we wanted a female voice and just the fact that they were sisters, it felt very right, given the fact that this was a story based on siblings um, and it focused primarily on the older sisters. Um, and then we also, like I said earlier, we had locals that made up much of the crew and pretty much all of the cast. Um, but also our makeup artist, Krista, she was Knoxville based. We had local musicians. That contributed to the film and uh, like the extras all of them they were also from the area the production assistants the catering our people in transportation it was all oh and the and the high school we filmed in it was uh, an abandoned high school from a few years ago um so it was very important that we prioritized uh the locals and adding them and and using them for help and 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 music and anywhere any way possible because this is a story about Appalachia and it is for them so well I mean it's for everyone but you Connor's uh Connor's you know, uh, it's our our heart is is there Connor, Connor isn't mentioning one of the most important local people, uh, Melissa Wharton, who was the co-producer. 
I, I've never seen a producer work so hard in my life. She was just on top of everything. She was always working under behind the scenes and under the surface. And if she knew something, she was anticipating what might, she, you would think she had been working as a producer for the last 30 years because she was just, if she saw a problem, she was right on it. She, he would anticipate anything that might possibly happen. And, um, uh, I can never thank her and Mark enough. I mean, wow, what a what an amazing team they are. No, they were. We I think we were very fortunate. And again, it's very wise to have people who know the area who are local because as we have stated, there are thunderstorms and snakes and flooding and things that and transportation, you know, sometimes it can be very difficult to drive here if you're not used to it. Um, oh so gosh, you know what we didn't really mention? important to make sure you have a what? You know what we didn't mention is the thunderstorms. Actually, we brought in some of the crew because obviously there aren't camera people and grips electricians living in Wise, Virginia. Not that I really know of. Um, so our DP was coming in from Arkansas where she was working, I think, and then she was supposed to fly into Tri Cities and the. Um, the gaffer was going to pick her up in uh, the flight got canceled. So then the gaffer who had driven from Atlanta up to wise had to go down to Asheville to pick her up. But because of all the thunderstorms going on all over the country, or, or especially in the South right then, all the flights kept getting canceled, canceled, canceled. So she finally had to drive and pick her up, I think in Charlotte, North Carolina to bring her up. And so they were like a, day late getting there. The DP didn't get there till Sunday afternoon and we were shooting Tuesday. So then we had to go scout all the locations, but then the grip and electric crew and the sound crew all got stuck in Atlanta because of all the, um, all the thunderstorms. <laughs> I forgot so all these things. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then, uh, so they didn't get there till the night before shooting. I mean, for a while there, we were going, okay, this might not have any lights and we might not have any sound. Can we still do this? <laughs> so you'll just see a black yeah. screen the entire time. Well, got you know, it. It's kind of <laughs> yeah. guard, you know. But Marty, you know, you did such a wonderful job of always finding the beauty amid all of the chaos that we were filming. Oh. Um, and the when you watch it, I think the mountains really, they are their own characters they're, that, that's in the short. And the, especially the final scene depicting these mountains sort of offering the children small moments of relief and beauty when they're faced with such ugliness in the rest of their life. It's, it's very wonderful to see. It reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you all have seen Midsummer, but it's a, a horrific film, but it's shot beautifully. It's in a beautiful area with very beautiful people, incredible wardrobe. But what happens is it's terrifying. And that, reminds me of this you know terrible happens or terrible things happen in beautiful places and but. it is it's one of the most beautiful places in the country it's just idyllic you drive through going oh my gosh this is heaven on earth and then to have this undercurrent of all the um you know the drugs and the meth and the opioids you just go oh yeah. how sad um it's funny you reminded me also the very first opening of this of the movie I had imagined, 
you know, getting these beautiful shots of the countryside. And then we get into the story of what's going on underneath to show that dichotomy. Well, the whole time we were at the the little house where it was supposed to be the kid's home, it was raining, just pouring down rain. So finally, we, you know, I just went, well, let's make it work a different way. And we filmed, it, it was kind of a, a sad, um, it, it, it wasn't the, the beautiful sunny sunrise, gorgeous mountains. It was more what was reflective of the life that they were sort of living with all the rainy shots and the, you know, kind of drizzle and the um, dark skies. So, you know, you just kind of have to adapt to what's yeah. there sometimes. And, and but I, but I think that works because in that moment, not even nature could provide relief to these kids. Yeah, exactly. Um, because yeah. that's, that's the reality. Um, and I think that though this is a nationwide epidemic and we could have literally chosen any city or town in America, they say to write what you know. And I feel like we, we know this area and I, I think that, you know, although we're including a negative aspect, sure, about Appalachia and its drug crisis, it's obvious that it's not limited to Appalachia. It's a nationwide epidemic, and I think mo most importantly, we're, we're voicing intelligent and strong Appalachian children and women living in a rural community of hospitality and kindness. We're not dwelling on the drug abusers or trying to paint every Appalachian as addicted, just like so many other films depict us as uh, barefoot buffoons or savages without running water. Although yes, again, we did not have very good plumbing that one day. Um, <laughs> so. But it's also, it kind of also shows that it's everywhere. You, you, you can't even imagine where the, these problems, I mean, this is such a beautiful little small town. How could anything be wrong there? But, and that mm -hmm. it just kind of stands in for America, you know, it can happen in the smallest, most, uh, you know, uh, distant little uh, isolated town. So I think yeah. it, it works. I, I remember being asked at one of the festivals if um, I, 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 someone asked if children of substance abusing households were more prevalent in cities or rural towns like my hometown. And I responded that these children are everywhere, not, not just Appalachia, but I do believe that in smaller rural communities, what is easily overlooked in cities becomes unignorable in small towns and mm -hmm. towns where you, where, you know, nearly everyone, their life becomes an extension of your own rural America also keeps families very close together. And as a result, more grandparents are, are nearby to these children and, and friends and set and siblings and other people are stepping up to take care of one another. So I, think you, uh, I, um, I think you said that very, very well. Thank you. This is, you know, I've not practiced social skills in so long. I was wondering if I still had any. <laughs> I know it's, I know it's God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I log into class every day, but, you know, we're just on Zoom staring at our teacher. But the truth is, I don't even look at my teacher. I'm just looking at myself and thinking, oh, my God, when did you brush your hair last? Or, like, are you okay? <laughs> Your eyes seem very hollow. I don't know if you all have that problem, but I digress. 
I mean, uh, I still, you know, I obviously still shower and everything, but I think I've, uh, in the lo- <laughs> since lockdown started, uh, I think I've only worn actual pants, like, one time. I've been wearing sweatpants and pretty much every single yeah. day. It's like, I'm not going anywhere. Who do I need to impress? Yeah. yeah, I almost, I almost put on makeup for this. And I was like, whoa, calm down, <laughs> Sally. You don't need to do that. <laughs> uh, I don't know what we're going to do after I this. I before before we get into the uh, the festival circuits, and I want to touch on that, I'm actually uh, like I said, I'm I'm in LA and I'm also a filmmaker. So I always love asking whenever I watch short films, it's just just the the filmmaker and the tech guy in me. I always just love uh, asking what what did you use to film this short film? What cameras? It was a um, oh shoot. It was the Sony F7, <laughs> I think. Let me just look that up real quick. Um, I'm pretty sure it was the Sony F7. Okay. And I will. Uh, y'all talk about something, and I'll get right back. To <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm helpless when it comes to technology. I mean, you all saw me. I couldn't even get onto Skype, so I don't know <laughs> what camera it was. Yeah, I, I'm a IDP. I do editing. I do, you know, color grading. I. I do all that stuff too. So I just love talking to other filmmakers, you know, especially about the tech side. I love the storytelling aspect, but I just, this thing about, you know, cameras and the tech that, that just has a special place in my heart. So okay. You're a nerd. Is that? <laughs> I am a proud nerd. So, so I've got the answer. We use the Sony F as in Frank, S as in Sam, seven, okay. FS seven, and then uh, used contact prime lenses. And uh, I guess the FS7 has the quality, according to Helen, our DP, has the quality of an F5, but is lighter and therefore more uh, portable. And since we had a slim slim crew, it worked better for us. There you have it. That is true. I do know that camera. So I don't own it myself, but I have used it in the past. So interesting. Okay. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was was just... (laughs) I was just saying that you knew it. I'm over here talking to myself. See, I told you, I don't know how to socialize anymore. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've used, I'm familiar with that camera, but uh, it's always, sometimes films are used, you know, they use Reds or Aries or Sony. So, so again, it's just a more, less of a question, honestly, for the audience, although this is, you know, for audiences listening, but that question is sometimes just more for me, just because I'm a, I'm a tech person, <laughs> so. Well, you know, you kind of brought up a, a good point. I don't know if uh, how much you know about the film, but um, we had quite a woman representation on the, we, we had a woman DP and a woman first AC, and uh, I had a woman first AD, and we had a woman producer, obviously, and it was mostly, and a woman writer, uh, co-writer. Uh, script supervisor, editor. And editor. Um, I got the feeling that it was stunt a- coordinator, a, women, uh, was a woman. Primarily yes. female ca- uh, casting. Oh, female gaffers. Yeah, it was, uh, it was yeah. uh, pretty exciting. Oh, mm-hmm. director. We had a female oh, director. Yeah. We By had her yeah. Whatever. <laughs> no, I think that's I think that's fantastic. I mean, I think I I thoroughly believe that. I wish uh, more women were involved in filmmaking. So I mean, I I, th- I honestly think I honestly think that if if uh you know if if you had a male director or something like that, the film wouldn't have turned out as good as as it did. Uh, no, this this story certainly with 
the women as the focal points, um, it, it needed to be told by women and sort of um, championed by them as well, because this story, it craves an emotional intelligence that women tend to be better at getting sometimes. <laughs> um, that seems so sexist. Um, men lack emotional intelligence. No, but you know what I'm trying like, to we say. We just like emotion. We just like emotions. Let's be honest. Let's just you could just. <laughs> um, unfortunately, it seems like that sometimes. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I don't. Um, take, I, I don't take it personally. But um, I I agree in that uh, we certainly prioritized as much as we prioritized having locals we prioritize females as well because they say be the change you want to be in the world and therefore we are being the change that we want to see in the world was that gandhi i don't know again well i applaud you for it (laughs) well thank you so i want to move on a little bit to uh talking about the film festivals and what that experience was like and i know it's done pretty well in the festival circuit so far so and I mean, I'm sure that must make you feel, you both feel fantastic. So tell me a little bit about your experiences uh, taking this around on the festival circuits. It's been yeah. so much fun. <laughs> I think we, I think if I, correct me if I'm wrong, Connor, I think it's 35, including the upcoming Richmond Festival, I think it's 35 festivals and 19 major awards. Is that kind of where you are? I think that's right. I don't. I don't really know. <laughs> I'll, I'll go with that, that sounds then. good. That sounds good. So, yeah. so it's having a little bit of success, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, it really seems to have connected. It really does. Yeah, Did, has a few any... of. Oh, Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, you go. I love it. That's our most favorite phrase. Um, now, um, we, I think. We've missed a few now that we are in quarantine. Yeah. And so as we go, um, uh, well, I don't know when it will end, but we might see more virtual festivals. Um, but I'm very thankful that we had a very good run. We had a, almost a year. And so I know that a lot of people, they might have just been entering the festival circuit. And, and then, you know, everything is just sort of halted and don't know when it's going to pick back up so i am i am very thankful that we we got to have such a nice run for about a year what was your favorite do you know connor your favorite you stole my question oh uh, <laughs> marty god <laughs> are you this one out eric okay yeah oh man you know <laughs> you want to, to uh, interview yourselves maybe <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah no my question um, to be do you have a favorite uh festival that you've been to or a fa- or a like a most memorable moment at a festival i have two what about you kind of what's yours i have two also marty you go um, <laughs> i really enjoyed duluth hmm. it was cold and i liked the snow and i like coldness because of my heart and also because the snow will never allow you to um fall asleep it really wakes you up I don't know where I'm going with this anyway I like Duluth because it was weird it was just strange 
Um, like at one point we were in a, a mansion and then there were like bratwurst outside and and then like they were giving tours and it seemed like the house was haunted but it was all for it was a mixer like weird super weird but it's very very interesting and the people were very very sweet and then my second favorite or mm, yeah probably second favorite would be la femme because um it was a woman or, or like a female focused or like driven festival where they primarily honored um films like ours that had a predominant female um cast or like a female director or what have you and i really enjoyed that experience as well and uh what connor didn't mention was that at the duluth festival was it the festival angelica is that right um mm -hmm. she she won the someone so. to watch award so uh we were very proud of that and it was very cool because the the art they gave oh and they actually did the brooklyn women's film festival was also very cool it was my first festival i went to i remember instead of giving you know trophies or like certificates or whatever they gave out pieces of art um and that was really sweet so i have a little picture of a mockingbird i think it's a mockingbird and then also yeah in duluth they i think it's like it's some glass blown object so they also gave out art so art for artists it's wow very that's pretty cool and, and she yeah. also won best performance um uh at the brooklyn women's film festival she's not mentioning these things but i, I, I got your back <laughs> she's trying she's trying to be know. modest <laughs> i don't know how to brag or sell myself i'm working on it <laughs> so my two film favorite film festivals and yes we would have loved to have gone to all of them and we Gosh, I'm looking at the list here of all the ones we got into, and we couldn't get to all of them. Um, there was just no human way to do that. But I loved La Film Film Festival. Not only did they just do it right. I mean, they had it at a beautiful venue. They had it catered every night uh, for all the filmmakers. They um, showed the films in a, a real um, movie theater uh, as opposed to, you know, some of them are uh, the the rec room with chairs set up. You just never know. So yeah, uh, and yeah, and, it was the was it the Regal Cinema downtown? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, so that that was very very fun. I mean, it's scary because I you see yourself on the screen and you're like, whoa, that's what I look like. Interesting. Um, but it was it, we won the best short of the whole festival, which just, I mean, I think there were 45 shorts in the festival. And when we won best short, we, you could have just, I mean, I could have just died happy forever right then. <laughs> yeah. And then the other, um, there was uh, one week, well, God, there were several weekends where we were in several different festivals at the same time. And we kind of all went our separate ways. I went to one that, you that I had never even heard of it, but it was in Virginia. It was um, in Bristol, Virginia, and it was called the Push Film Festival. And it was just, it was absolutely my personal favorite, even though it's not a well-known festival, but I, my sister lives in Lynchburg. So I was able to fly in there and take a drive down with her and be there. And then I got to see my niece who lived in Bristol and my one of my nephews who drove up from um, Knoxville. And, uh, and 
so I got to see all their families. And then for some reason they did a, I'm sure Mark had set this up uh, ahead of time, but I got to do, they interviewed me for television and did two articles in, for the no, newspaper, the Tri-City newspaper. And, but the best part was all the kids from WISE came down and it was the first time I had seen them since we shot. And I think it was like over a year later at that point, I think by the time we went there. And so getting to see the kids again, just made my heart just burst with joy. They are just the most adorable kids. Unfortunately, Connor couldn't be there because she was busy winning awards in Duluth. And I think Melissa, I think Mark was with you and Melissa was in Louisville with the festival there. Yeah, so, that was a busy weekend. Yeah, um, and then and then October. With, October just seems to be the happening month for film gosh, festivals. Sure was. And then we oh, then we won the best Virginia short, and then we won the best short overall for the entire festival. So it was. Uh, I mean, you know, that was the other time I could have died happy right there, and y'all would have never seen me again, and it wouldn't have mattered. It would have been just fine. <laughs> it sounds like yeah, a, Marty, I, like I miss seeing you at film festival. I know. So what's uh, now that the festival circuit is kind of, I guess, either calmed down or it's kind of over, at least for now, you know, maybe it'll start back up. What are what's in the future for both of you? Are you guys work? Are you writing new uh, films, Connor? Are you Marty? Are you uh, currently working on any new projects? What's what's the future looking like for you both? I have a riveting project called graduating from college <laughs> i'm familiar um, with catch, that project a little bit <laughs> catch me in the corner of the library crying into a bag of cheetos i'm just kidding i that. don't have a i don't have a library to cry into because i don't have a school campus at the moment um so i don't even know when i will graduate from college oh but gosh. that is on my agenda and Marty probably has more exciting things that she can talk about. Well, I don't know about uh, exciting. A lot of little things sort of in the works, but nobody knows when the works is going to start up again. I was on a show just as the first assistant director, uh, and we were two weeks, uh, just over two weeks into prep when everything shut down. And I honestly don't know when we're, I mean, there are big party scenes and basketball games and all that. There's, I just don't see that happening anytime soon. So um, in the meantime, oddly enough, I grew up in theater and I, Connor, I don't even know if you know this. Um, so in January, I, I really started uh, focusing on acting a lot. Um, and in January, I was in uh, the lead in three short films and got cast in a SAG national commercial. So January was like happening. I was going, holy cow, who needs this, who needs this directing stuff anymore? Uh, this is, you know, <laughs> and then of course nothing shooting at all. So, um, so I don't know where it, it's, well, it's in well, I'm glad that you were able to have a very busy January though. Yeah, since too. now you've certainly do not and no one else does but now you can maybe just savor that relish your fun january and hope to get back out there eventually yeah. that's the thing it's just the uncertainty it makes it all the more interminable and oh, uh it's just sort of a waiting game i yeah. i feel like i had lots of projects and filming projects and all this stuff lined up and then 
the world went crazy and now I got nothing. I know. So. <laughs> I mean, I did but, just get approached about possibly, you know, uh, I, my name's in the hat for a small feature film, but I don't know when they'll be able to shoot. So who, who knows? Who knows? But hey, you know, it's a luxury that we get to make this podcast and we get to sit down and talk about art. And if our biggest complaint is that we don't know when we're going to start back up or or if our sound is okay, I think our problems are very small. And I, I just feel um, so lucky. very fortunate. Yeah, I feel Absolutely. so lucky we had the run that we did because we just had the best time with Fest. I mean, you make these films and you want people to see them, but uh, but to have it received so warmly at so many festivals mm -hmm. and for us to be able to go to so many of the festivals and participate, it's just, it was a fantastic year. In the, and I'm hoping to goodness, I don't know what's going to happen. We're, I, I grew, I lived in Richmond for a couple of years, Richmond, Virginia, and we're in the Richmond Film Festival and it got postponed from April and we you know, or hoping maybe later in the year something will happen there because that would be so fun to go back to that one. And the kids could yeah. probably come over too. So I don't know. We'll see. Only time will tell. Yes. Exactly. exactly. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Time isn't real. Time is a theoretical construct made for humans by humans. We haven't any of it at any given time of the day because it doesn't exist. Okay. I'm sorry. I typically <laughs> schedule my. I have He's like an existential crisis at 3 a.m. every day. And those are not, the thoughts that plague my mind. But you're not wrong. I am not wrong. I am not. I mean, <laughs> it is a kind of a random thought to have, but it isn't wrong. <laughs> I can't wait to see what things she's writing during this time. I know. No, I'm, I'm, really, I, I'm really waiting for like the next like script to be like X about like time and how it doesn't exist in the construct. <laughs> and I don't know if anybody's um, a Doctor Who fan, but uh, yeah. wibbly wobbly timey wimey or anything. <laughs> I'm actually I uh, I don't know about you all, but I'm just I lack motivation. Uh, I and I, I mean I'm also in school, so I'm doing a lot of homework, but. I have decided, I was talking to a friend, we think that the world operates on FOMO. So that's oh, the fear of missing out. And when you don't see people working or, or bettering themselves or going out to the clubs, you don't feel bad about not doing it yourself. And so I am not motivated to do much. I'm not sure about you all, when, especially when it comes to creativity are you all experiencing that absolutely uh i can definitely say for me personally like sometimes i'm just like uh i don't want to do anything like i have things to do but i just have i found that lately i have very little motivation to do anything creative wise mm -hmm. well i was all i mean all my life i have just all my career i mean i've had a great career don't get me wrong i worked in the film business over 35 years so um and just had you know a great time but throughout the whole thing i always felt driven like i can never have enough meetings i can never go to enough networking things i can never be 
uh, um, I can never create too many new projects. I can never be reading too many scripts. I can never uh, be setting up, have too many lunches, you know, so I was always, I mean, just ridiculously going, 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 going. And now, like you say, Connor, with an excuse that I'm not missing out, that I, I am having the best time ever. I did not know how fun this could be just to sit <laughs> so home and like clean up my room. It's just so fun. I've wanted to do this for 10 years. <laughs> so it's kind of how? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, um, I think that is a fantastic way to end the podcast. <laughs> Marty has to go clean her room yeah. now. Exactly. Exactly. We all. Everyone listening needs to go clean their rooms. You've got the time now. That's right. <laughs> well, I do well, have I, to say. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was gonna, I was gonna do the the ending, but if you've got something left to say, okay. go for it. No, I mean, I just on the topic of quarantine, I just feel, um, it deserving to discuss that the two great pandemics of our generation, what we've been talking about with the drug crisis and now COVID nineteen. They're starting to intersect in deadly ways. And I, you know, COVID-19, it, it, it may help trigger addiction relapse. Social isolation increases the risk for addiction. Anxiety has been inflaming the world, um, which is also a universal trigger for drug use. And I was reading just last week that opioid overdoses are on the rise in Canada during the pandemic and then the children, the very ones that we've been discussing this entire time that are the, the, the focal points of our short, they're the ones left inside of these precarious households, unable to attend school, attend after school activities and so forth. And so it, it becomes extremely difficult to figure out solutions. I, I wanted to, to discuss that, or I just did, I just discussed that, um, but no, I think that's I, I think that's a, a a good uh a good thing to to mention, and I think that's again I think that's a great reason you know that this film exists now. This short film is it really brings to light that you know mm -hmm. hey like you know not only is drug addiction and overdose and you know the opioid opioid and drug addiction crisis absolutely terrible, but because of, like you just said you know because of COVID nineteen and everything else like you know kids don't it's have all... this, yeah, they don't have schools to go to or sports to – there's no real means for escape for them. They're kind of stuck in mm -hmm. these situations right, right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I hate to say, you know, a lot of times, especially in, at our film festivals, we'll say things like, ah, oh, or, or other people will say, this is so timely, this is so relevant. And I, I hate that word because these kids aren't relevant because to be relevant is to be tagged with a temporary feeling of importance a contemporary almost yeah, fashionable this, interest so these yeah. kids aren't relevant they are permanent and so are the consequences of their childhoods and most importantly their experiences their their upbringing and their trauma they're all swathed in an indelibility that makes it very hard for them to forget so i just that, that's what this whole story is about is so that they are there are less feelings of them being forgotten they are having a story told um because these are children who can barely take care of themselves let alone speak up for themselves because they're fearful 
because they don't have a platform to do so or because they are just ashamed because um, their situations are often stigmatized to the point of silence. And so, you know, don't talk about it and it'll go away, right? No, not quite. Well said. Well said. Before we before I end, I have one last question for you then, Connor. I'm curious, uh, how did you come up with the title for the film? Oh, this is a wonderful (laughs) question. Um, I remember Marty (laughs) went back and forth with us. She's like, are you all sure this should be the title? Are you? Do we? Must we? Um, it, it, It comes from a monologue from Ophelia in Shakespeare's Hamlet. In the short, Charlie recites this monologue in school. And Ophelia, like Charlie, she feels very hopeless and traumatized when the only thing she wants to do is heal others, specifically Hamlet. Um, And there's this fear of abandonment. And Ophelia's mom, like Charlie's mom, she's not present. I mean, Ophelia's mother, she's never even mentioned. And, but yet her, her, she's made present through absence as, as her daughter's tragedy unfolds and her, her absence offers no protection, no guidance or anything that she could have offered for her daughter. Um, so it's, it's basically just parallels with Ophelia and Charlie. And also going back again, this film being very um, focused on women and, and directed and created by women ladies most eject seems quite appropriate because I remember Marty you were you were like well there's a baby boy so like should we say ladies and baby boy most eject (laughs) (laughs) okay Marty didn't say that but I do remember that was one of the things that we went back and forth on we were like uh well they're you know it's not just ladies but I like the name. I like the title. I think that I it confuses a lot of people, but but then they just ask me, like you just did, and I get to clarify somewhat. So well, I appreciate I appreciate you you telling again. I wasn't asking because I was like, hey, I saw a baby boy in the film. I was just very curious. I'm, I'm <laughs> no, always curious no. how the title comes about in in film. No, I. It sounded like a very I was being very defensive. Like, oh my god, someone's asking about the title again god no <laughs> no i if it came across like that i didn't mean it <laughs> no you're all good you're all good well thank you both for taking the time to to talk with me about your film today uh you know it, it was fantastic i think it's a film that everybody should see it's not a it's not a terribly long film it doesn't take a long time to watch uh but I think it's an important story and an important message that everybody needs to, you know, always, like you said already, you know, it's not just something that's relevant for a little bit of time and goes away. It's something that's always present and constant and not everybody always thinks about it because it's not always a situation that everyone, you know, is in. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I am very thankful that you had us. It has been a nice treat in the shackles of my quarantine no not really not really I we're all very fortunate and it was wonderful to just sit down and discuss what we've created and what we look forward to creating in the future so thank you very much for having us yeah thanks Eric so much really appreciate anytime it. anytime and always happy to have you both on uh for any if you have another project in the future uh be happy to have you both on uh to discuss it 
So well, anytime, you. anytime. I'll I'll just I'll discuss my college graduation with you um, whenever that happens. <laughs> Your next project. I mean, that's my next project. I mean, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. So. <laughs> you might be desperate by then. You might be like, yeah, fine. I, I would be, prefer I mean, to talk about films, but sure, if this child wants I mean, to talk UCLA, about graduation, whatever, bring it on. UCLA is about you know 20 minutes away from where I live, so it's not that far. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Well, Thank you so much again, and, uh, you know, have a great day. Thanks. Keep creating. Thank you. Bye. I encourage everyone who has the opportunity to see this short film to go and do so. It really is a great story and brings to light an issue that most are fortunate enough not to have to deal with, but far too many still do. Ladies Most Deject is a must-see on my list, and after, based on how well it's been doing in the film festival circuit, it's easy to see why. Marty and Connor, do you have any parting words for our listeners today? Hi, I'm Marty Alkin, the director of Ladies Most Deject. And I'm Connor Wharton, the lead actress and co-writer. And you're listening to... GeneBookNerd.com. GeneBookNerd.com